Welcome to the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is Thursday morning, June the 27th. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday morning. Coming up in a few minutes, we will have Sonny D'Alessandro. He is the owner of Tulsa Athletic, who will be joining us uh, for, for a chat. Um, but before we get there, I don't know if you saw this, but um, the New York Times came out with an article which only um, backed up what had been seen floating around social media for a week. And that was uh, these glass door reviews. And we've talked about these on the show. These glass door reviews, it is a website where you can um, write a review as a current or former employee um, about your bosses, about the company, all of those things. And um, so... Glassdoor was was reviewed. Some people went and checked it out. They went and looked to see, you know, what 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 had been written about U.S. soccer, and the news was damaging. It was uh, it was very 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 bad look for the United States Soccer Federation, which is the national governing body for soccer in America, and that's why it matters. The other reason why it matters is that that. At this moment, the U.S. Soccer Federation is in a search for its new CEO. Their current CEO, Dan Flynn, is stepping down. So, we, you know, knowing those two things, you have the national governing body for soccer in America, and at the same time, you've got uh, an opening at its top day-to-day executive position. It's worth taking a look at, you know, what's going on. And... Um, and in that search, found a lot of, of negative comments about the current CEO, a, a lot of negative comments about the uh, aspiring CEO, which is already on staff, which is Jay Burhalter, but also uh, comments about wanting and needing someone from the outside. We need a fresh face. We need a fresh start. We need someone that is positive. Yesterday, we saw uh, floating around social media, and I and I had heard this as well uh, from from sources that John Collins uh, was also angling for this job. Now, John Collins is as much an insider as Jay Burhalter. Neither name should get any um, serious consideration for the job itself. I understand going through the job process, but I don't think either name should should be at the top of the list in terms of leading us forward that both of those are are um, status quo or looking back uh, type of candidates and we need someone from the outside someone that that does not feel beholden to Don Garber and Major League Soccer that doesn't uh, have any part to play in the current toxicity in the culture of U.S. soccer and so I, I think both names uh, should be disqualified because they've both been part of creating um, the the toxicity within the U.S. soccer culture. And it's pretty bad. And when you read the Glassdoor reviews, you come to see that um, very clearly. And so I went 
to Twitter at Daniel Workman yesterday. I went to Twitter and thanked Carlos Cordero for finally addressing, uh, or not necessarily addressing, but acknowledging to the public that there were issues and that they uh, were aware of these issues. Because part of the problem with the U.S. Soccer Federation over the years is that they have been not just tone deaf, but completely deaf to the American soccer public. They don't acknowledge when there are bad things. They don't acknowledge when there's room for improvement. It's, it's really um, disturbing uh, how um, much of a country club mentality has, has been uh, entangled at the top of the Federation. So I wanted to thank Carlos Cordero for coming out publicly and acknowledging uh, the New York Times article which had only substantiated what had been uh, put out by Chris Kessel and others on social media uh, in terms of these Glassdoor reviews. And uh, uh, I know that uh, that Paul Kennedy, I know that uh, that the New York Times, I know Mickey Turner, I know others had had basically once the news had kind of leaked out on social media and was starting to make its circles they they went to work in trying to validate um this this information and uh because it was it was so revealing and and at the same time so damaging um not only were they able to substantiate it um but at the, at the same time, they were able to acknowledge they themselves had gotten this information as well uh, before even the social media post. And so um, just a side note on the media piece. I mean, that's an area where I think the media has got to do a better job. Uh, you should be able to substantiate that uh, before it hits social media. You should be able to really do a cultural review. This is not new news. Anyone who has who has come in contact with the U.S. Soccer Federation at the highest levels over the last 10 years would tell you that things aren't well. They would tell you over the last five years, things aren't well. They would tell you over the last year and a half, things aren't well. And they would tell you that it's trending in the wrong direction. It's still, it, it, not only is it not fixed, it's, it's not uh, getting better. It's not even being addressed. And, and so I... You know, I, I wanted to thank Carlos for acknowledging because that was a that was at least a, a, a little bit of improvement from the past. But I, I made a couple points. One is that poor leadership has created this unhealthy culture, and this is this is an important um, piece to to recognize because leadership creates environments. Leadership shapes culture. Leadership. It is responsible for building teams, building cultures, building environments. That all falls and rests on leaders. Without fail, when you find unhealthy environments, unhealthy culture, poorly operating teams, when you, when you find those things, it is always the fault of poor leadership, period. The reason is that even if you have a bad apple on your team, as the leader, it is your job to either fix the bad apple or get rid of the bad apple. Like you are responsible. 
when you when you put that label on whatever that label is for that moment for that team for that environment but it's the leader label whether it's team leader whether it's ceo whether it's coo whether it's vice president whether it's board member whenever you put the mantra of leader on you whenever you are in the leadership position you are the one who is responsible you are the one who has to cultivate a healthy culture, who has to cultivate a good environment, who has to ensure that you have healthy relationships and dynamics and communications within your staff, within your company, your organization, your team, etc. It is on the leadership to take that responsibility. It is yours. It is no one else. Yes, People are, are, should be and are responsible for their own actions. But as the leader, you are responsible not only for yourself, but you have to be responsible for the whole. And if, if, if a piece of that whole is causing issues or if rules are causing issues or bad policies are causing issues, then it is, a, it is incumbent upon a leader to step up and say, this isn't right. Let's fix it. Let's get this right. Our culture within the top levels of U.S. soccer is a toxic culture. And we've seen that on these glass door reviews. And we've seen it substantiated all over the media. The New York Times, Paul Kennedy with Soccer America. We've seen others speak out and speak up about the fact that there is a toxic culture within U.S. soccer. That that responsibility lies ultimately at the feet of the president of the Federation. They are the figurehead. The CEO reports to the board. The president is the chair of the board. Ultimately, it is the president's responsibility in the case of U.S. soccer to make sure that there is a healthy culture within U.S. soccer. For too long, U.S. soccer has been rife with conflicts. It has been rife with with conflicts of interest, poor governance, poor leadership, and those things need to change. If we're going to be a 21st century federation that is leading the way in excellence, in leadership, in the ability to to forge a path of excellence. We have got to change the way that we are doing what we are doing. We have to improve the toxicity of our culture. It has to become a healthy place to work. It has to be a place where the brightest and the best want to be a part of the federation. They want to be a part of the conversation of leading us forward. And that is also going to require us to have the right CEO. It it is so important to get this hire right. And I think it's been shown that Jay Berhalter and John Collins, both which have ties with the Federation and in deep history with the Federation, John Collins at the 2019 AGM, I was in the room when he spoke up against 
the ability for the military um, who has a, a presence within U.S. soccer for 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 military soccer to, to not even have an opportunity for them to have a voice on the board for coaches to have a voice on the board. These are this is not the kind of leadership we need within U.S. soccer. We need forward thinking leaders. We need people that are going to push us forward. When we read the Glassdoor reviews and we look at the comments of current and former employees on CEO Dan Flynn, on Jay Burhalter, it's not a good picture. As much as we want to paint things publicly because we're embarrassed or we don't like what's being said, we can't deny the truth. We've got to own it. It is in this moment that Carlos Cordero has acknowledged that there are unhealthy things, but he's got to do more. As a candidate, Carlos ran on addressing conflicts of interest. He acknowledged that there were conflicts of interest and they needed it to be addressed. The problem is, is that those issues remain unaddressed. Don Garber is the commissioner of Major League Soccer, the CEO of Soccer United Marketing, the marketing partner of U.S. Soccer, and sits on the board making decisions, having influence over decisions that pays him millions of dollars per year, personally. That's not right. That is a conflict. We have Jay Burhalter, who, if he becomes CEO, will be a, a, a leader at a level above his brother, who is the U.S. men's national team coach. On top of everything else we've just discussed, that in and of itself is a problem. We've got to do better. We need to look outside. We need to find people, a man or a woman, who don't have ties to U.S. soccer, do, who don't have ties to, to Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing, who can come in with experience, leadership experience, and an independent mind and fresh eyes, who can inspire us to go farther to do better, to, to, to seek more, to work for excellence. This is what we need in our next CEO. And I am appreciative that Carlos Cordero acknowledged that there are issues at the Federation level, but it's time for him. He's been in charge for, for almost a year and a half it is time for him to start addressing those conflicts. And that means not just people, that means policies. And in getting rid or amending policies that allows these conflicts of interest to not only operate within the board level, but be exempt at the board level. It is ridiculous. And that needs to change. We need to do better. We could be better. We should be better. And um, and I think that's something that we have got to take a serious look at going forward in order to reach our potential. Our sponsor this half hour is Dut Kick Brand. You can learn more about Dut Kick Brand at D-U-T-K-I-G brand.com. 
When you go there and place your order, use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off your order. Again, that is DWSHOW, and you will get 10% off your order at DuttKickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday morning, June the 27th, the day before the U.S. Women's National Team face-off against France, and um, we are all looking forward to that match. But uh, we are excited to have joining us Sonny D'Alessandro. He is the owner of Tulsa Athletics. Sonny, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. So, uh... Give us a little bit of, uh, of, of, of your story. Uh, how did you fall in love with the game in the first place? Well, and I'll have to apologize. I'm, I'm front end here. I think every rule you sent me in the email about being in a quiet place, I'm, I'm going to break because I'm out at training this morning. Um, so there might be a little bit of wind and a little bit of background chatter. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a good question. Uh, in 2012, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Kern, who's the other partner in, in the club, um, you know, we got to get together and there had been a big gap for about 20 years in Tulsa having a, a you know, a, a team, that, a well-run organization. Uh, the, the NASL Tulsa Roughnecks left such a, a huge imprint here in the late seventies and early eighties, you know, I think they were third or fourth in attendance, like for the entirety of their existence. So Tulsa is a huge soccer community. So him and I sat down and, uh, she said, Hey, you know, what, what would it look like for us to kind of try and do it right again? Um, and his wife, who's a very sweet lady was at the the meeting and she said, well, look, if this is your midlife crisis, it fucking beats get you getting a motorcycle. So <laughs> that, that was, that was kind of that. Um, so we launched in, in 2013 and you know, we, we leased an old, minor league baseball stadium that had sat there for about four years dormant and just kind of made it our own. And we were real quick to connect with, you know, local vendors. We wanted, 
that there's when you're when you play in a baseball stadium, there's that that empty piece in the outfield, and, and one of the things we wanted to do, which I think you, I'm not saying we invented this concept, but one of the things that was paramount for us was let's activate that area, and we did that by getting you know all local food. I think we uh, we lost Sonny for a second. We will we will effort to get him back uh, here in just a, a moment. Um, where he was kind of going with that was was talking about the baseball stadium and and the layout with that. And um, we are going to uh, see what we can do to get him back. So um, the 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 great thing about stories like this is the fact that you have. Um, you you have these people all around the country that want to get involved. They are um, wanting to do new things, and uh, we're going to see if we can get Sonny back to continue telling us about his story there in Tulsa. Um, guys, I'm sorry about that. Where did where did I lose you? We we lost you at the outfield. Uh, I didn't know if Kevin Costner was oh. trying to walk through the phone and give us a field of yeah. dreams moment, or or what was going on there, there? There, there is no field of dreams in American soccer right now. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, you know, we just we we wanted to activate that area with you know local food, local beer, um, local businesses, and you know have an area for the kids to play a bit. Um, and yeah, it was a home run. I, I think, pardon the pun, but yeah, in our our first year, I think we averaged around thirty five hundred fans a game. We played Club America's under twenty team and had about sixty five hundred fans for that game. So, um, yeah, it was it was this huge success, and you know, by our standards, and from there, you know, it got a little bit divisive because then the USL team was announced without really reaching out and seeing if they wanted to do a a collaboration or doing one thing for the city together. And Tulsa's not a really big place. So from that, we've kind of become this bizarre case study of how you survive if a pro team comes to your town. Cause we've, we've, we've managed to, to still be a viable business and still get a, you know, a good turnout on game days and, and be competitive on the field. So yeah, that was, that was kind of our introduction to it. So I want to I want to park there for just a second in terms of uh the USL coming to town and and you guys being uh already up and running. Uh what was that like? What were those what what was what, that those conversations like and what was that experience? You know, it's uh similar I would think to what Chattanooga's been going through uh recently in terms of encountering the USL coming to town and and you having to figure out how to deal with that. Walk us through, you know, what that experience was like. Right. Well, and, and, you know, Tulsa is a really small place. I mean, when compared to, you know, some of the the major cities in this country. So, and if you're a soccer guy in Tulsa, you pretty much know every ball that's rolling everywhere. So we were completely blindsided by it. Um, and honestly, you know, it, it, I mean, it hurt, you know, we had, we had put an immense amount of work into, uh, launching and it was successful and they launched in November of 20, 
2013 and they had a year runway. They, they played their first game in 2015. So like right after we had had a successful season, they dropped this announcement and um, you know, it was just kind of divisive because we, one, they didn't reach out to us. So it was like, okay, that to me is an indicator that they're not interested in, in partnering with us. Um, and at the same time, like I'm the type of person, I'm not just going to like pack my stuff up and leave. Like, you know, this is soccer is a thing wherein if people agree with the ideas of a club, like that's what they support you know, divisions and leagues aside, it's like, Hey, this club's more agreeable with, with what I believe it's more of a community club for whatever reasons you believe, be it political or whatever. Um, you know, so we just said, we're not, we're not going to go anywhere now. You know, we had to be a little bit more shrewd and savvy on the business side of things. We didn't want to overextend ourselves and try and go toe for like toe to toe with them because obviously their budget was probably 10 times what ours was. So, we, we have kind of a mantra within our club or kind of a philosophy and it's just, you know, we just keep trying to hit singles. Um, you know, I think too many times people think that they have it figured out and they go too big at, at some of these lower levels, they overextend themselves and then they get into trouble. So we want to just, we're, we're committed to kind of slowly, gradually building and, we we've had to start over too because we you know we lost, we end up losing our stadium in a in a public vote in Tulsa, um, so we had to kind of go back to square one and figure out what that looked like. So yeah, when when they announced, you know, 2013 was a different time than 2019 too. Um, there wasn't as as much league animosity and federation animosity. It was growing and. People still didn't like the identities of what a lot of the leagues were and were becoming. But if I'm being totally honest, had a team in, after our first season in 2013 said, hey, we want to we, we partner up and, and do something for Tulsa and this is the league we're looking at, we would have very, very seriously considered it. Um, because, again, back then wasn't what it is now. And, you know, I have my stance on how I feel about uh, that league now. But, um yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it hurt and it, it, it kind of forced us into becoming um, a little bit more savvy than we than we were expecting to have to become. You know, I think we rolled out a model and we were hoping we just stick to this. This is what works. And uh, we had to pivot from that. So uh, we're, we're still around and going strong, though. So when when you lose the public vote, um, you have to go find a new home. What did you end up uh, being able to to settle on, and how did that affect your your match day experience and attendance, and your ability to provide the environment that you want to want to provide as a club owner? Right. Well, and so in twenty seventeen, it it. It was probably our worst year to date. We played in a high school for one year. Um, there's a lot of great clubs in this country that play in high schools with football lines. I don't want to take anything away from them, but um, yeah, we, we played at a high school. Uh, our numbers were down. There was no, well, there's no legal beer being sold. I'm sure there probably our supporters group were, were doing their thing, but um yeah, we did it for one year. It was it was a terrible fit, and we just reassessed and said, you know what? Like, there's an old park in Tulsa where the old NASL teams would 
train before they played they played the old Tulsa Roughnecks. So Canalia, Beckenbauer, and Cruyff, and all those guys trained at, at this old park at one point. It's where I had my very first soccer practice ever. It's around the corner from a restaurant that I own here in Tulsa, and some of our sponsors are, that are pubs are around the corner. So I think we said, hey, look, like we've always been this kind of weird counterculture-driven grassroots organic club. Let's um, – let's set up this little modular jam out here where we'll bring in some bleachers. We, we put a stage at midfield where we run our production, our live stream, our post-game interviews. Um, everything that's, that, that we produce comes off that stage. And then we have a little area, the, the bleachers area, you know, you can pay a, or donate to, to get there, which people are really great about. Uh, and then the rest of it's like, bring a chair, bring your own beer. I mean, uh, <laughs> The, the culture of sports in the United States is a little bit strange. You know, if you go to the, just in, in general, people don't necessarily want to sit next to each other. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think sports, you should all get in there. It's tribal. It's a community. Like let's all get in there all for one. But, you know, you go to the movies 10 years ago, all the seats are right next to each other. You go to the movies now and it's big comfy chairs and like people have this tendency to be away from each other. So I, what we're doing now, I think kind of suits us in the sense that, People bring their own beer, their own chair. They sit where they want to sit. We get a good crowd. It's a park, so there's plenty of room for them to run around and, and do their thing or have their kids just playing around. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's weird. It's a lot of fun, and it, it's what we're doing now, and it seems to be working pretty well for us. So with with all that you've gone through over the last few years um, and knowing what you know about – the U.S. soccer landscape, um, you know, all of the conversations surrounding, you know, how do we how do we kind of build from where we are? And there's there's quite a few clubs that have been vocal that that you know have have been operating in this. Um, I call it a Cape Cod style schedule summer league right. uh, format. Yeah. Um, that, that have been saying, hey, we want to take the next step. We want to, you know, have an extended season, longer season, year-long season, whatever words you want to use to describe. How, how yeah. do you guys there in Tulsa, how do you guys view where you are and where you want to go and, and, and what you aspire to be as a club in, in, in relation to those conversations? Well, we, we keep our professional aspirations. Um, you know, those are several singles down the line, I, I think. Um, you know, because I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the, the two months, if you make a long playoff run, three-month season is super difficult to recoup investment um, and get a, re- get a return just because there's not a lot of home. I and mean, we, have, we have five home games, so you know, how do you make your money back in, in five, in five games? And we've had like record floods this year. So there's plenty of pictures of on Twitter of me with a squeegee rolling water off of the field this year, which I'm just about done with. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, and I don't want to get too political about it, but I think the Federation needs to sort some things out. They just make it so difficult for, leagues to become insured for other options to exist for teams where the game is thriving. Um, you know, whether it be through insurance, whether it be through, um, you know, them stamping their name on, on the product or, or whatever, it just seems like 
there is this need, want, or desire for us to have infighting before it's to find a productive solution. And it's to the detriment of the player. It's to the detriment of the fan. It's to the detriment of the teams. It's to the detriment of the owners. It's uh, for our, for what we are as a country, we don't produce very good players. Um, and I think that that, you know, goes down to us being systemically flawed and, and broken. So sorry if I tangented off a little bit on that, on that question, but um, yeah, I think there needs to be more willingness and help from the Federation to go outside of the, the, um, the powers that be, so to speak, in terms of leagues that they endorse and, and try and kind of help everyone because it really is one of those high tide raises all ships sort of situations. Like the leagues, I think eventually will figure it out. Uh, I mean, the, what we do now is relatively <laughs> unentertaining and uh, as far as soccer is concerned without promotion relegation and stuff like that. So I think someday the leagues themselves will say, Hey, this is going to be a lot more compelling um, to television dollars. If we create a system where more, the games are worth more, we're getting a higher viewership. So I think that'll probably be the driver in figuring that out. So, sorry, I think I went on about six different tangents. It's, it's the, it's the morning coffee. Hey, it's okay. We uh, we like those tangents, and and I like where you're going with that. So to to pick up where you where you left off, your last tangent, uh, talking about uh, <laughs> leagues connecting to one another and uh, and finding a better pathway for yourselves. Um, where 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 do you see the the NPSL? Um, you know, in in terms of being a part of that conversation, um, in you know recognizing you know like we talked about the 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 limited number of of matches per season um never mind that it's only a two-month kind of regular season to begin with uh makes it very challenging to be a part of a an open system promotion relegation you know you really need more fixtures and and a longer season uh to, to be able to kind of you know recoup costs and there's there's a variety of reasons inventory right. of matches other things that you would need to really be viable uh as a league in an open system where do you see the npsl uh lining up in in some type of promotion relegation talk as these leagues maybe start to have some of these conversations about where to go from from where we are today to where we could be Right. Well, and that that's a good question. And I can't speak totally, totally to that. But but what I what I can say is that, you know, at, as a board and as a league, we we recognize that we have a responsibility to our successful teams to help them remain sustainable. So, you know, I think that we're always looking at ways and means and mechanisms to extend our season see who's interested in that um you know because you're right it's so hard in in these two months so yeah from the league standpoint you know we're always trying to investigate and flesh out ways to help our successful teams become more successful and help our teams that are struggling become more successful because we have we've got good teams and you know, they're like, hey, you know, I, I lost, you know, X amount of dollars because I, I played five or six home games and I, I couldn't get it back. Like, we'll, we'll be around next year. But if I could have my, my business model works at 12 or 13 games. So, I, I mean, as a as a league and as a board, I think we have that responsibility to try and 
find that middle ground, find that solution that works for works for the the teams. And I would hope, you know, that the federation would be helpful in, in trying to assist that because at the end of the day, it's just, you know, these are teams with with players that are in our system that are going to push other players within our system, and it's going to it's going to raise the levels. So. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at, at stuff just, just like you talked about. It's, it's early doors on a lot of it, but you know, it's, it's stuff that we, that we talk about constantly. How, how would the Federation help, uh, the NPSL, uh, extend its season? Would that not be a, a decision determined by the U S the, uh, the NPSL board and its members, uh, to, 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 you know, internally take on that decision to extend its season, or is there some federation yeah. policy in the way? Well, it's not really that. It just seems to be that there's like this unwillingness on the side of the federation. You know, I think MPSL Pro was a name that the Founders Cup threw out there that would have been a natural good fit for them, and the federation throws out like they were adamant that the word pro couldn't be used. And for me, that's like really nitpicky. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily their policy. It's just, there is like this kind of, maybe we're on the independent side of things. So they would rather throw out a problem than a solution. Um, you know, and I I can speak that there's been some insurance issues and with the founders cup stuff. Uh, and at the same time, when we play the U S open cup, you've got amateur teams competing against pro teams and, you know, I just think that the Federation, if they're doing their job, should be an ally in, you know, when these leagues and these these uh, these paying members step up and say, hey, we're trying to do this. How can we get this done? Help us get across the finish line. And I, I think that there's just they make it overly difficult, you know, and to me, that's uh, I'm dumbfounded by that because it's like, look, here, here are people that are genuinely trying to grow the game here um independently and and working towards a better system that's in compliance with fifa's regulations which we're we're presently not or you know that's that's their long-term goal and it's just met with a resistance which to me something's rotten in denmark when when that's when that's the the optics of the situation so to to speak to the extended season and and why that is so necessary for kind of the next phase, the next step for for these clubs and and really I as I view it and I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth that you, you you're saying this, but I, I believe for the entire league um, as a as an entirety of a project to embrace. Uh, a, a longer season which would provide uh, much more ability uh, to have uh, you know inventory of matches etc why for you is that you know such a, a big thing and, and how for the audience can you can can you explain how much that that changes your budget your planning your ability to execute a game plan uh, versus you know five home matches right now yeah, well, and there's a there's a there's levels of answers to that too because I mean if you look at it say from the player side of things like college, for what it is, I mean it's it's fine they have great facilities but their season is very flawed in how many games they force players to play in such a short period of time. So I think we have a responsibility to develop our non-college, high-level amateur, low-level professional players to like let's start there on the player side of things. Like if we're increasing 
or raising the level of that player, it's going to push the level above it and, and so forth. So on the player side, I think that when you create a, a product that develops players at that level, that, that's obviously going to be a very good thing. On the, on, the, on the club side of things, you know, it's tough to go into a room with sponsors and say, hey, you know, what does $20,000 look like for the back of our kit? Just for example, I'm just throwing this out there, but what does that look like? Because it's real easy for them to turn to us and say, yeah, but, you know, we're looking at a total of seven and a half hours that that's going to be in play over the course of a year where that's, you know, and yeah, it's just a harder sell. So I think going to sponsors, it's easier to say, hey, you're, you're getting more value for your money. I think more people become interested. Um, you know, when you have more game, home games, it's an opportunity for you to have more revenue. And, you know, it's, it's just easier to operate and get over some of the, the hurdles at this level um, if you are opening up that stream of revenue to a longer period of time. So I, I don't know, does that answer your question at all? Yeah, I mean, other piece that you want me to touch on or go more a little bit more in depth into. Well, I mean, I think one of the other aspects too that uh, you you mentioned earlier, but I wanted to kind of get back to, which is uh, you know you talk about sponsorships and some of the commercial side, and you talked about the players, but also when you when you really get into you know how does football around the world operate a lot of that revenue comes from broadcast as well and you know having an extended season a longer season how would that influence or affect the ability for you know a club like yours uh to sell you know tv ads tv spots um or or even be able to be a part of a league that could have a, a real conversation about um, you know revenue coming from from television dollars down the road in a longer season versus you know the the two month season that you have now. I mean, I, yeah, and I think the question just kind of answers itself. You know, sponsors and TV they want to be in front of their audience as as much as possible, and you know when it's a short term season like this, it's such a I mean, it's such a sprint. Our season is such a sprint. And the front of it, you know, you're just getting your, your, I mean, on the practical side of things, you get your guys in on the first and your first game is on the fifth. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the question almost answers itself. I mean, you get time to set up, you get time to be more consistent, put a good, a good product out there. Whereas, you know, by game four or five, a lot of clubs are just still fixing things and getting getting things dialed in and ready to go. And then the season's over by that point. So um, yeah, that, the longer season just, it helps us clean the product up. Um, you know, we have the, we have the critical mass of teams so that if at some point we wanted to implement promotion relegation, I think we're probably very close to doing that. And I think that that becomes probably the most compelling piece to what a TV deal um, uh, what, I think that would be what would be most attractive to a TV deal was seeing um, that system implemented in, into our country. So, uh, I mean, that, that's just my opinion. But, um, you know, you look at the MLS's ratings and you look at, like, you know, why they struggle a little bit. It's like, well, there's no real sense of consequence for uh, these teams that are at the bottom. And um, I think that that contributes to why the TV ratings in other countries are are, are good. I mean, there's there's very few storylines in sport in our country that 
haven't been told. Um, you know, we saw Kevin Durant come back on the court injured, uh, and it's like uh, the American sports, the knowledgeable American sports fan goes, yeah, yeah, no, I, Will, Willis Reed did that. Um, so, like, almost any story you can tell in sport has been told at one level or another. So, um, and there's still this really cool one with soccer that has an opportunity to come into place and, and be really interesting and really get the, the eyes of, of the soccer fans fixed, fixed to it. But I think we're in more of a, a mode of protection when it comes to, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it when, you know, when you have the collusion between MLS and the Federation, I mean, I think that they're more about, Hey, how can we keep the rich rich rather than how can we challenge the rich to become richer? Um, and as soon as they make that switch and open the system, I think that what they'll see is it's more of an opportunity to, to, to make, uh, especially on the TV side of things, just to make that, that, you know, far more interesting than, than what it is. So, you know, for us, I think it could be a, a, a way to kind of backdoor it and say, Hey, we created a product. Um, you know, we strive towards promotion relegation. Uh, we achieved it and now it's on TV and in front of you guys. And if there's a tipping point in those TV ratings, then that's what I think that you can make the argument that that's where, um, you know, and this is 20 years down the road, but when the American fan says, Hey, I want to watch this rather than the old standard of MLS. We do a season, we do our playoffs and then we do it all over again. Uh, you know, I think if, if ProRail were to be implemented, I think it's a far more fascinating approach. So I think that that's how that battle could be won years down the road. I know you, yeah, you I might need to get. Um, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I like where where you're going with your with your answer there. And one of the things I wanted to to, to mention and to kind of bring up is the fact that the U.S. is such a large country geographically. For all of the, yeah. the the blessings we have as a country, there there are um, challenges uh, as well, uh, and it's real easy to look at Spain or Germany, Italy, England, and and talk about you know their national leagues, um, you know La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, Premier League, etc. When we look at the U.S. Uh, I I personally hold the view that we need to get as local as possible, as fast as possible in a pyramid. Um, that regionalization and and the ability for teams to to travel for matches and 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 not just from a club expense, but also the the supporters being able to get around to matches as well. I think is extremely important in building a, a true football culture in this country. Um, what are your views on regionalization and localization uh, w- within the pyramid and, and within soccer in general in America? Well, I totally, totally agree with what you're saying. And, and I think, you know, when you look at like larger countries, like, um, you know, Russia or Brazil, Russia, especially like all the teams are on the, on the West. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think that you're right. You know, I think that what needs to happen is because we're so expansive, you know, that, that, I mean, you almost said my answer for me, but yeah, that focus on the, the local clubs, um, and creating a critical mass of teams that are, that are sustainable, that put a good product out there that meet these, you know, whatever minimum standards we set and just creating that, that wealth and that uh, of teams where, 
yeah, you've got you've got teams where everywhere you need. Now let's let's get them playing so that you know we're not having any New York to LA trips. I mean, even if you go to Germany, the third division, they already start to branch out regionally. So, um, and yeah, I loved your your manifesto where how it was broken down, how when and where it splits regionally. I think that that was that was spot on. Um, yeah, I mean, the MPSL is essentially four regional leagues. I mean, the West Coast operates different than the South does um, in, in parts. So, you know, it's um, sorry, the head coach just gave me the look I'm, I'm, for the listeners. I'm having to I'm having to train this morning <laughs> because uh, we've got a goalkeeper injured, one out of town and one training with Rail Salt Lake this week. So they, my old ass is going to get shelled this morning but um yeah you know i I think that we recognize that and it's a good starting point to like recognize it regionally grow it within those regions and then almost have sub regions below that because it just can't exist you you see you see all the time people will drop like hey here's how pro rail works i just drew this up in a you know a microsoft document and you're like yeah that looks great and everything but you've got a team from georgia playing team from new york in the fourth division here like that that's going to be a challenge like that, that's going to be a challenge so totally. yeah the, the more the, the more teams we can get and i say it all the time the the more we have successful clubs in bartlesville oklahoma and lacrosse wisconsin i mean there's not a lot to do in in these towns sports wise you know they're they're essentially soccer's for the taking if they can get it right so um yeah, I think that if we can start getting a real footprint here in communities like that, then really the sky's the limit. Like now we're being impactful. When you go to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and there's 900 fans in the stands to watch a soccer match because, hey, that's like what there is to do. And it just becomes a soccer town. That to me is when culturally we're starting to shift. And to your point, that's when we're going to really, really have the critical mass of of teams. I mean, you look at Europe, like what's the club in France? I think it's Lille. Uh, no, it's Lens. Lens. I think Lens, their stadium seats more people than the town holds. <laughs> and that's just because like, you know, they started a successful small club. And then uh, from there, the out, like the surrounding little town supported it also. And it just became like the, the big regional club. But yeah, I think that those, those, those little singles, uh, across the u.s landscape uh, you know those little small towns where nothing's going on maybe there's a youth club there maybe there's just a little bit of interest in the game they're like bring it there do it right the positive building block for the future so i've got i've got two final questions one's a quick rapid fire question uh the, the rapid fire yep, question go. is this do you think that the Founders Cup and the NPSL and the insurance issues get resolved um, in a in a favorable way, or do we do we still see the federation causing issues? Um. Well, and I can't, I can't, I can't speak entirely to it. One, I, I don't know. I'm not really in that room. Um. Um. You know, I. I know they're trying to pivot and trying to just figure the insurance piece out. I think that's really the only thing holding the deal back. So um, I don't think I hope so is going to be a good enough answer, but um, yeah, 
it's it's a problem. Like I said, I, I just wish that the people who are around that have the ability to help and say, hey, here's what we do in the Open Cup to make sure teams are insured. Like, go this route, and we'll get you off and going, and good luck, and grow your league, grow your teams, and, you know, it's, instead it's viewed a bit as a threat. So, um, yeah, what was, the, what was the second question? Second question is, if you were in charge of American soccer for a day and you had complete power to do whatever you want, what would you do with your day in charge? Uh, Ten-foot goals. No. Um, so I'm in charge for a day? Yeah, you're in charge for a day. You have supreme power uh, to do whatever you want with American soccer. Oh, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Yeah, I, you give me a... You give me a flamethrower and I burn the motherfucker down because you know what? Like our country deserves better. Our fans deserve better. Our players deserve better. And the rich billionaire owners at the top of this that for some reason we're insulating, uh, like those are the ones that should be brave and should be really growing the game the way Lamar Hunt did back in the day. And, you know, that, that had that had some courage. So I'm sorry if I'm going to tell 25 billionaires to grow a set of balls, but, you know, they know where to find me. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I'd, I would, I'd burn the entire system down and I, 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 would, I would implement an open system as, as quickly as possible, uh, find a way for youth clubs to get their solidarity payments so they could grow in an organic way as well and produce a higher caliber of American player and, um, you know, hopefully start to have the success that, that we needed. So, I, I love where you're going with that. That's a great answer, and it's probably the most entertaining answer we've had so far. So, uh, really, <laughs> I, I really appreciate your uh, sincerity there in in uh, in your response. So, look, I know I know you're uh, you're you're getting ready to uh, to do your your biggest uh, uh, you know impression of Gigi Buffon. Um, so, uh, good luck with that, and uh, hopefully, there's some ice around. So, when you get done with uh, training, uh, you can get you can uh, get some ice on on, on those uh, the those muscles i know i know no i hear you and I'm, i apologize to you guys for being rushed this morning I, I really appreciate you having me on it's been an honor it's been fun anytime you want to do it again you know how to get a hold of me and i i will see you in the in the twitter sphere and thank you for no var questions <laughs> <laughs> no var no var that sounds good sonny we'll, we'll talk soon daniel thank you but thanks that was Sonny D'Alessandro. He is the owner of uh, Tulsa Athletic and um, really appreciate him spending some time with us today, uh, sharing his, his insight, his story, and also his desire to see uh, merit-based competition reign supreme in this country. And that's really should be the American way, to be honest. We should have a country filled with clubs that are fighting to, to, to be as big and as great and as excellent as they can be and let things uh, end up where they end up. Um, our country would be better for it. Competition always breeds excellence. It always forces um, the competitors to raise their game. And when you have a system like Major League Soccer, like the U.S. Soccer Federation in general, that is not predicated on competition and it is instead predicated on uh, mediocrity and average and, and, and making sure that there 
is uh, parity across uh, a league, you're never going to reach excellence because parity requires the top to fall and, and they hope that the bottom rises. But what actually happens is that everyone falls. The only way to get everyone to rise is to force everyone through a crucible. And that crucible is competition. So I'd like to, to thank Sonny for coming on and, and having a chat about his club and about where he wants to go with his club, etc. Um, and where this country needs to go. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. They are changing lives, changing villages, and you can be a part of that story by going to charitywater.org. We will be right back after this. No one No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in. It's Thursday morning, June the 27th. I'd like to thank Sonny D'Alessandro for coming on. He is the uh, owner of Tulsa Athletic. Uh, coming up today at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we have Norway and England kicking off the Women's World Cup quarterfinals. Um, the match of the quarterfinals that, that all eyes will be on is tomorrow, and that is the uh, U.S. Women's National Team against the uh, French national team uh, facing off uh, tomorrow. Um, that is is going to be um, the match that, that I think all eyes are going to be on. Today's match, Norway-England. I do think England gets through that, that match um, and, uh, and I think that they will, will, will go on um, uh, from there to face the winner of, of France in the U.S., um, there have been a lot of people picking France. Um, if, the, if the U.S. women's national team play as poorly as they played against Spain, I do think France is going to move on. Uh, I do suspect that the U.S. are going to uh, make some adjustments, and I think that's going to be uh, a match that could go either way, um, U.S. and France. And uh, I'm not comfortable in picking either either team in that uh, match to 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 win I, because I just think that it's going to be really really tight, really really close. Um, un- unless the U.S. struggle, uh, the the French struggles against Brazil were different than the U.S. struggles against Spain. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, the winner of today's match plays the winner of tomorrow's match. And then Italy and the Netherlands face off, as well as Germany and Sweden. So uh, we've got an 
all European um, quarterfinal uh, except for the U.S. The U.S. is the lone hope to uh, to be a non-European team to get into the final and to win this thing. Otherwise, that the the World Cup is going to remain in one of those European countries uh, until 2023. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, I do think. Do you think it's going to be uh, um, a good game today? But I think England will uh, will pull this out today against Norway. Um, If I had to predict a score, I would say two zero. That's going to be where I go with it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally off on this, but uh, maybe maybe it's uh, it's Jack Gidney coming out on me and uh, and and got me thinking that that England's going to come through and and do well. but uh, we'll see how it goes. Tomorrow is the match, and we'll talk more about it, uh, get into more about it tomorrow, uh, France and the U.S., um, and today, England and Norway. So thanks for tuning into the show. Thanks for uh, tuning in every day to the show. You can um, follow the show, watch the show, go back and, and check the show out uh, afterwards, video and audio. Um, you can learn more about the show at danielworkman.com. It's weekdays live at 9 a.m. Eastern standard time. We will see everyone again tomorrow. Thanks uh, for tuning in today.